Thanks for checking out this episode of the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast. In each episode, we discuss a movie and share some fun trivia facts during the conversation. Please check for the latest episode of the podcast on Wednesdays. Please like us at facebook.com slash screenfacts. You can also email screenfacts at yahoo.com or tweet me at Jason Davis Voice. For details about all the different ways to listen to the podcast, including accessing past episodes, please visit jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. Joining me on this episode of the show, my lovely, talented, and exceptional wife, Sue. Woo, thanks, honey. Hi. Hi. Welcome back for another fun-filled episode. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. <laughs> so we're going back to the 80s once again, a movie that's almost 30 years old. Oh, Not my quite. gosh. Next yeah. year will be 30. Yep. Today we're going to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, please, can we? Wait, let me see if I can do it. I used to be able to do it. Please, Eddie. Just because I'm a tune doesn't mean I don't have feelings, too. Woo! Something like that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the dog groaned. <laughs> yes, that was daddy. <laughs> so Who Framed Roger Rabbit released originally June 22nd, 1988, starring Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, Joanna Cassidy, Charles Fleischer as the voice of Roger and several of the other characters in the movie. Kathleen Turner is uncredited as the voice of Jessica Rabbit. Amy Irving provides the singing voice of Jessica. And by the way, Kathleen Turner was nine months pregnant when she recorded her voiceover, which wow, I think is very interesting. that is cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, because, you know, that does affect things. People don't realize. It does. You breathe differently and all That's that kind true. of stuff. true, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the movie directed by Robert Zemeckis, the great director, novel written by Gary K. Wolfe, Screenplay by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman. Estimated budget, $70 million. Domestic gross, $156.4 million. Worldwide, $329.8 million. The highest grossing PG movie in 1988. Second overall in 1988 only to Rain Man. This movie also did pretty good at the awards. Won Oscars for Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing, Best Effects, Visual Effects, and it also won a Special Achievement Award for Richard Williams for Animation Direction and Creation of the Cartoon Characters. Yes. Now, wasn't the book called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Yes, it was. But then, for the movie, they changed it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, I'm not really sure the story behind that. Do you know? No, I don't, believe it or not. I'm surprised, I know. Shocker. That sounds like something you would have found in your research. Uh, No. (laughs) But I do know that even though it's a question, Mm -hmm. the title of the movie doesn't have a question mark in it. That's right. Why is that? Well, uh, according to what I read, they said it was bad luck to have a question mark in a movie title. Which is very interesting because there are movies that do have question marks. One that comes to mind is What About Bob? What About Bob? What About Bob? That was a pretty good movie. That was a great movie. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, they wanted all the luck on their side that they could get because this was a (laughs) tremendous undertaking, this film. Huge undertaking, yep. This wasn't the first movie that combined animation with live action. Mm -hmm. However... Animation director Richard Williams set out to break three rules that previously were common when filmmakers combined live action and animation. First off, to move the camera as much as possible so the tunes don't look like they're pasted on flat backgrounds. Second, to use lighting and shadows more than ever before. And third, have the tunes interact with real-world objects and with the people as much as possible. And uh, they did a really great job of that. Oh, they really did. There's a lot of really cool stuff in the movie. And mm-hmm. that's what holds up for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing with the movie, when you watch the movie again 30 years later and you compare it to the stuff they do nowadays with computer animation. Uh, yeah. 
you definitely see the difference. But you can't compare. It's apples and oranges. I know, but that's I mean, the we're thing. talking hand-drawn animation here. I know, and that's what makes it such a spectacular movie, that it still holds up enough mm-hmm. knowing that there's no computer animation involved exactly. at all. Exactly. And it's pretty groundbreaking. It was. It absolutely was. We're talking hand-drawn animation. Right. Not just put it through digital editing or whatever. Right. What they did was they shot all the live action first. Okay. Then they made still photographs from the film. And then the animators traced over them to make the final cells. Oh, my God. Then all the cells were once again hand-painted and colored. Wow. So... I mean, first of all, that meant that all the principal photography had to just be as it was. Right. They couldn't go back and fix something later. And we were talking about the couple places where that happened in there, where Bob Hoskins, you know, instead of looking down, down three foot rabbit, enough, he was looking straight up. He was looking straight up, so they had to adjust for that. Right. So they put Roger on a soapbox. Literally on Literally, a soapbox. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. then he was at the right eye level. Some of the things that I thought were really cool, we talked about the cartoon characters interacting with real world objects. Two of the things that come to mind right off the top mm-hmm. of my head were in the beginning when he pulls on the jacket of the director. Mm hmm. I can get it, Raul. I can get it. And he's he's like, you know, he's walking away and he grabs his jacket and the the jacket arm moves. Mm -hmm. And then another really cool thing was when they're at um, Eddie Valiant's office and Roger goes to sit down in his brother's old former chair. Yes. And he goes, get out of that chair. And before he gets into it Mm -hmm. and he leaves uh, fingerprints on the chair, which is very cool. Yeah, that was neat. Like, because of the chair, everything was very dusty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when his fingers touched it, it left that behind. That was so cool. Yeah, the way they accomplished a lot of that stuff, certain props like Baby Herman's cigar or the plates that Roger smashes over his head during Mm, mm Merry-Go-Round broke down, they were moved on set via motion control machines hooked up to an operator. The character was then drawn over the machine in post-production. The other method was puppeteers. For example, in the scene in the Ink and Paint Club, the glasses held by the octopus bartender were controlled by puppeteers from above, and the trays carried by the penguin waiters were on sticks being controlled from below. Both the wires and the sticks were then removed in post and the cartoons added in. So, you know, obviously a great deal of trickery. but super cool, though. But they didn't have the technology that they have today. I mean, listen, they could probably make this movie today. I mean, it would still take a lot of time, but it's probably a lot easier now. Mm -hmm. Because they animate humans in movies now. Yeah, it's true. You know, so... There's people in movies who aren't even alive anymore nowadays. That's right. Peter Cushing, anyone? Yeah. Yeah. They animated young Carrie Fisher in Rogue One, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing what they're doing nowadays. Yep. I like um, when Eddie takes Roger into the back room at the bar where Mm -hmm. Dolores is Mm -hmm. to cut apart the handcuffs. The speakeasy. (laughs) They bump the ceiling lamp. Uh huh. And the ceiling lamp is swinging. Yep. So a lot of extra work went in to make the shadows match between the actual room shots and the animation. And today, air quotes, bump the lamp mm-hmm. is a term used by many Disney employees to refer to going that extra mile on an effect just to make it a little more special, even though most audience members won't even notice it. That's true. It's one of those things that the animators probably watched the finished project and were like, you know, going nuts. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Look at that. Yeah. But yeah, we we probably just take it for granted. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we're so engrossed in the movie itself. Yeah, and I was reading that, and I actually, I said to Tommy, I said, I bump the lamp when I direct. Yeah. I do that a lot, because yep. I do stuff that is, like, more for me. Mm-hmm. Little than, details, yeah. You know, but it's just, it makes you feel good. Yeah, it's cool. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that. Bump the lamp. I Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. 
<laughs> so 326 animators work full-time on the film. Mm-hmm. In total, over 82,000 frames of animation were drawn, including storyboards and concept art. Animation director Richard Williams estimates that well over 1 million drawings were done for the movie. That's right. Again, no computer animation was used, and some scenes involved up to 100 individual film elements. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes a single frame would take two dozen drawings. Yeah. It's uh, crazy. A, a 10 second scene, yeah. 1,400 drawings for a 10, 10 second scene. Yeah. I mean, that's madness. That's the, crazy. the amount of patience that people have to have to make a movie like, of this magnitude yeah. is, is astounding. Yeah. I mean, 10 seconds is enough for you to like reach over, get your soda, have a drink, put it back, and all of a sudden, 14. That's probably not even 10 seconds. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's really remarkable. Yeah. All that is great. All the technical stuff mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. fantastic. The movie itself is a lot of fun. It is. So uh, there's a really cool cameo right in the beginning of the movie. The the director of the Baby Herman cartoon, Raul J. Raul, <laughs> is played by Joel Silver, who's a famous producer okay. in Hollywood. Being in the movie was actually a prank on Disney chief Michael Eisner at the time by Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg, who was one of the producers. Eisner and Silver had a falling out. They kind of hated each other. They had disagreements and, and a lot of trouble when they were making 48 Hours at Paramount Pictures in the early 80s. So Silver shaved off his beard, paid his own expenses, and he kept his name out of all of the uh, cash sheets in the beginning. After the movie was done, they told Eisner, who didn't recognize that it was Silver, supposedly he just said, oh, he was pretty good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of cool about this movie that's very unusual, Disney is the distributor, Touchstone Pictures. Right. This is the first and I think only time that Disney and Warner Brothers characters live in the same universe. That's right. Which is very cool. Yeah, I read something that said it was something about the rights that Disney ended up saying, if you're going to have a Warner Brothers character, you have to have a Disney character too in that scene or in the same amount of time or something. Yeah, I think it was they wanted to make sure that that the Disney characters had as much screen time as the Warner characters. So the way they solved that is to just have them on screen at the same time. together. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, instead of trying to time it and stuff, it's just easier. (laughs) Yeah, the part where he's just falling through the sky, he's got Mickey on one side, Bugs on the other. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll never see that again. No. (laughs) It's so cool. It's very cool. The three ingredients of dip, (laughs) the dip that uh, kills the tunes, that Judge Doom has. Uh, Turpentine, benzene, and acetone, they're all paint thinners which are used to remove animation from cells. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. And it also makes sense why uh, Doom puts a glove on to dip the shoe. Spoiler alert. Into there. Spoiler alert, (laughs) Doom's a tune. But there's there's a few clues. Yeah. The fact that, you know, he puts the glove on so Mm -hmm. he can reach all the way into the dip. Mm -hmm. When the dip spills and he backs up. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just the way his whole makeup is done and the teeth and everything. The teeth are weird and yeah. he never blinks. Never blinks. Christopher Lloyd, if you watch his performance, never blinks once in the yeah. movie. There's a lot of times you can't see his eyes, though. I know, but when you can see his eyes, never blinks. <laughs> They're not blinking. I read that his cape is almost always blowing a little. Okay. Even when he's inside. Yeah, I read that too. Classic yeah. <laughs> villain. Villain things, yeah. <laughs> Cartoon villain. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Bob Hoskins said that for two weeks after seeing the movie... His son, who was young at the time, wouldn't talk to him. When he asked him why, his son said he couldn't believe that his dad worked with cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny and he didn't let him meet them. Aww, (laughs) poor kid. (laughs) That's great. I mean, Bob Hoskins is... Awesome in this. He is. He really is. And um, you forget that he's he's British. Yeah. Oh wait. First of all, moment of silence. Okay. Passed away last year, the year before. Twenty fourteen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
But to actually get the feel of playing and acting with the cartoon characters, he mm. watched his daughter playing with her imaginary friends. Ah. But he actually had said in an 80, 1988 TV interview, oh, yeah, to do that part, I kind of had to learn how to hallucinate right. to do it. But after doing it for six months, 16 hours a day, I, I just lost control. And I had <laughs> weasels and rabbits just popping out of the wall at me. <laughs> <laughs> I read that, too. And I read that he actually took a year-long hiatus. He didn't take another project for like a year I just to kind of clear just his to head. clear your head. Yeah, this is probably a very weird thing for any actor. I mean, you know, obviously there's there's been a ton of movies where the actors are, you know, working on green screens right. and... They're, you know, following a tennis ball for an eyeline yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, like Jurassic Park, <laughs> yeah, for example. Ted. Yeah, exactly. Although both in Ted and this, the actors who provided the voices of the, the characters were on set. Charles Fleischer asked them to get him a rabbit costume. Yeah. And he so, put himself in the scene so that way if, you know, he had to get grabbed by the ears, there were ears for the actor to grab, yeah. you know. And, and like, so he's in a rabbit suit, which Bob Hoskins thought he was nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he was, you know, performing on the set, which is very cool. Yeah. And uh, I also read somewhere that, like, one day on set, somebody saw him walking around in the costume. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, oh, wow, production values are really going down. <laughs> 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 you know, one thing that it's not just looking in the right place either. Right. But there's, you know, the scene where he's holding Roger. When he's his... trying to throw him out of the office. Um, but then Roger kisses him. Yeah. That one. Like, you can actually see his, his arm straining as if he's lifting up. Right. You know, maybe 60 pounds worth of rabbit there. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's... that's Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really... You know, yeah, it's a silly movie, but there's some good good work going on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's really a very cool acting workshop. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're an actor, it's a good movie to watch for pretending, mm -hmm. you know, really acting. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> Gee. Yeah, <laughs> it's very cool. pretending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Roger Rabbit's... Uh, design mm -hmm. is described as having a Warner's face, a Disney body, a Tex Avery attitude, <laughs> Goofy's overalls, Mickey Mouse's gloves, and Porky Pig's bow tie. <laughs> Animation director Richard Williams says he based Roger's color model on the American flag, red overalls, white body, blue tie, so that, quote, everyone would subliminally like it. You know, that's very cool. Yeah. That's very funny. Yeah. Um, and Jessica was drawn. Did you hear what Jessica was made out of? <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, she was a composite of a few femme fatales, right? Of a right? few, yeah. Writer Gary K. Wolf had based Jessica primarily in the cartoon character Red, Tex Avery's vixen from Red Hot Riding Hood. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. That's crazy. <laughs> and animation director Richard Williams said he based Jessica mostly on uh, Rita, Hayworth, and Gilda. Which I think is the scene in uh, Shawshank Redemption. Where she flips her hair back. Yeah. So that's so kind of a, throw, a call back to an earlier podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Veronica Lake, obviously uh -huh. for the hair. Uh -huh. And Robert Zemeckis also suggested, let's give her the look of Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. And the song that Jessica sings at the Ink and Paint Club that Amy Irving provides the voice for mm -hmm. is from the original cartoon, The Red Hot Riding Hood. Okay. Bob Hoskins said that Jessica wasn't sketched by the animators when filming Wrapped. So he had actually no idea what the character was going to look like. So again, really having to pretend he's looking at this bombshell and everything else. <laughs> yeah. Robert Zemeckis told him to imagine his ideal sexual fantasy. Hoskins said that his mental image was less risque than what Jessica ended up being in the film. Less risque? Yeah. Woo, my. So he's a pretty modest guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Ink and Paint Club. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, Ink and Paint Club is an homage to the Cotton Club oh, in Harlem. Okay. And there's a lot of flat-out parallels 
it wasn't made to be a political movie, but it it was set in 1947. Mm-hmm. That was at the height of the Jim Crow era. And it was a commentary on segregation. Okay. Okay. Because so, there was only humans that, humans could, that could be in the, in the audience at Ink and Paint. Exactly. Exactly. So the tunes could work there. Right. The tunes could be the entertainers. Right. But only humans were allowed in. As, and uh, that was as just how audience. it was at the Cotton Club. Okay. Pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Christopher Lloyd's performance, specifically how creepy Judge Doom is. When he turns into the creepy cartoon at the end, that kind of freaked me out a little. It's a little weird, yeah. He's like, ah, ah, you know, the and eyes. And I like this, and I killed your brother. Yeah, he was yeah. definitely nuts. I remember it being like, wow, that's nightmare material. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I was thinking that when we were watching it last night, actually. Not now. It doesn't, doesn't Obviously, it won't bother me now. Right, but right. yeah, for a really small kid, it could be a little, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely, I mean... I wouldn't let, I don't know if I would let really, really small kids watch this movie because yeah. there is definitely some adult stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It's true. We're not sure you would want to have them see all that patty cake. <laughs> patty cake, patty cake, patty cake. <laughs> so it's Acme mm-hmm. who wants Jessica to play patty cake with him. Right. She initially says no. Right. And then she has a headache. It's right? kind of coerced into it. Uh-huh. Is that harassment? Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, listen, you got to remember 1947 when the film takes place, men were, uh, you know, definitely more aggressive toward women. That's true. And women were... Women, quote unquote, knew their role. Yeah. Knew their place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? If Acme had just learned that no means no, right. this maybe he would still be this. alive. Yeah. Maybe they, you know, there'll be no pictures of him <laughs> playing patty cake. That's funny. That's funny, actually. <laughs> So most of the time when we do the podcast, inevitably we talk about some of the other people that were considered for the casting. Mm -hmm. This movie is no exception. Christopher Lee turned down the role of Judge Doom. Oh, wow. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah. Could have been cool, yeah. Tim Curry also auditioned for the role, but Zemeckis, Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Eisner all thought his performance was too terrifying. Oh, man. (laughs) So as good as Christopher Lloyd is, Mm -hmm. Tim Curry was even more over the top. Wow. John Cleese expressed interest in the role, too, but both Spielberg and Zemeckis thought that he wouldn't be taken seriously as a villain because of his association with Monty Python. All right. Robert Zemeckis um, had said in a newspaper interview that Bill Murray was his and Spielberg's original choice for the role of Eddie Valiant. Okay. That would have been very interesting. Yeah, yeah. But neither could get in contact with him in time. We've talked about this on other podcasts. Bill Murray is sort of notorious for not being reachable. Yeah. He definitely is a guy that dances to the beat of his own drummer. Oh, yeah. He's the one who gets his script sent to him at a local Kinko's, and he'll just go and pick it up when he gets right. a chance. Yeah, he's definitely out there. I love Bill Murray, <laughs> yeah, so, so cool. I'm not I'm not criticizing, yeah, no, but no, he's no. definitely, you know, not the traditional actor. Right. But he apparently had read the interview with Zemeckis and uh, was kind of bummed out. He said he definitely would have taken the role. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Murphy expressed regret for turning down the role in an episode of Inside the Actors Studio. So he actually uh, turned it down, which, again, could have been very interesting to see Eddie Murphy as Eddie Valiant. Yeah. It would have been different. It would have been completely different. Yeah. Also, Zemeckis had seen Charles Fleischer do stand-up comedy. He remembered that what Fleischer did on stage was a lot of different characters and voices. Mm -hmm. And that gave him the idea to bring him in and have him read Roger against all the different valiants. Okay. But then they ended up keeping him on as the part itself of Roger. Yeah. I mean, he's great. I think he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and he does a good, he does Benny the Cab and some other characters yeah, too, and he's yeah. very good. Yeah, he said that the stutter actually wasn't in the script. Ah, that um, he got the part. Then they came to him and said they wanted to add, you know, a speech impediment. So we got a little paranoid. Oh no, I'm not. I got I got a job. I'm going to lose <laughs> it because I can't do a speech impediment. <laughs> so he, but then he came up with the. Yeah. So he said that was inspired by the Bowery Boys. We talked about the Ink and Paint Club. Mm -hmm. Another cool little factoid. When uh, Eddie Valiant goes to the back door and he knocks and he goes, what's the password? Walt sent me. Walt. Of course, they're talking about Walt Disney. Of course they are. Another funny thing in the movie, too, that I I really enjoy is when they're in the movie theater Mm -hmm. and uh, Roger is just gushing over Goofy's performance on the screen. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's a master. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody takes a fall like Goofy. (laughs) Or whatever he says, something like that. Yeah. so the movie, as we said, takes place in 1947. Mm-hmm. And even though that's the case, the movie that he's watching on the screen with Goofy, Goofy Gymnastics, came out in 1949. Oh. The reason they chose that is because it was the zaniest thing that they could find in the Disney okay. vault. Okay. <laughs> and they wanted to use it. <laughs> nice. You know, so, I mean, you could forgive them a little bit for that. Yeah, and also, yeah. Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote have a little cameo at the end when they have all the tunes okay, at yeah. the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. They were not created uh, until after 1947 as well. Well, how do you like that? And Tinkerbell mm-hmm. comes out at the end and ding, gets Porky Pig. Uh-huh. She wasn't out yet either because... Oh, she wasn't out yet. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, when Tinkerbell comes out and bang, gets Porky Pig at the very end, uh-huh. Peter Pan didn't come out until 53. Oh, okay. So the tunnel that Eddie Valiant drives through to get to Toontown... Same tunnel that's used in Back to the Future 2 with the hoverboard chase. Mm -hmm. One of the photos in Roger's wallet is of him and Jessica dining at the Brown Derby. Nice. The caricatures on the walls are of those of uh, the filmmakers, including Robert Zemeckis, Richard Williams, and Steven Spielberg. And there's also one of Mickey Mouse. These are all things to look for. And also at the end of the movie, when the, uh, the freight train comes through and it crashes and, and gets rid of the, that dip mobile. Mm-hmm. Each window of the train shows a murder or death taking place. <gasps> That's dark. Yeah, it's dark. Wow. That's pretty cool, though. That is, d- wow. <laughs> See, but again, these are all the little things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they, that they put in there. Yep. That you can look for and that, you know, give it that little extra sheen, right? Yep, yep. I love the pictures of Roger and Jessica. Mm-hmm. And then I also love when Eddie develops the film. Mm-hmm. Hey, kids, remember film and developing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love how he has his own dark room, yeah, too. So, um, and he sees the vacation pictures. Right, and Catalina. Very yeah. cute. So cute. Yeah. yeah, and they do a great job of kind of giving the backstory in that sequence. Because it's like he's looking at the pictures, and then he's, and then he, you know, on the desk, he's got all the different articles of mm-hmm. how, like, you know, they found Huey, Dewey, and Louie, <laughs> and, and they saved the day and with all these different tune things. Yep. And then they show, like, the picture of when they went into business together with um, right. Dolores. Yep. Two Flatfoots and a Floozy. And a floozy. Yeah, it says. Yeah. yeah. The way they show all that just is so great. It, mm-hmm. it gives the exposition, but... Mm-hmm. Like it's not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just different. done well. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's you cool. know, and even the way like the light comes in through the blinds and just like highlights all the stuff on the desk. It's very cool, and it's very noir. Yeah, in that way. So according to Robert Zemeckis, a major brewing company offered to pay to have their name visible on the liquor bottle that Roger drinks from early in the film. Zemeckis reminded them that it turns Roger into a steam whistle when he takes a shot, but the brewing company uh, said that the publicity would be priceless, and they didn't care. However, because this was a film distributed by Disney, 
the product placement never happened. Even if you could see a product name, that that, that isn't what you'd remember about that scene, though. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> you know, when he goes, makes it up to the ceiling and down again. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a little distracting. So this is yet another movie, not surprisingly, that was kind of in development hell for a while, too. The screenwriters, Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman, first adapted the Gary K. Wolf novel, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, in 1981. They wanted to work with Zemeckis. At that time, he was sort of an up-and-coming director. He hadn't done a lot of stuff. I mm-hmm. think like, Used Cars was one of the movies and something else. Mm-hmm. Disney didn't think Zemeckis was talented enough to pull off this movie. They changed their mind. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had some success uh, before this movie with Romancing the Stone and, of course, Back to the Future. Oh, both great movies. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, okay, he's, he's our guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, it's kind of interesting how the writers saw something in Zemeckis, mm-hmm. but Disney did not. Interesting. <laughs> the exteriors of the Maroon Cartoon Studios were shot at Renmar Studios in Hollywood. That was where I Love Lucy was filmed originally, Desilu Productions. Desilu Productions, very cool. Yeah. Did you know that Bart Simpson was in this movie? No. (laughs) I had no idea. Please explain. Okay. Um, Well, you know the shoe that Mm -hmm. gets dipped? Yeah. Who did the voice for that? Is that Nancy Cartwright? Nancy Cartwright. No way! Yep, yep. And uh, a year later, she started doing Bart Simpson. I had no idea. I you didn't look she to see if she's credited Bart. or not. She might have been doing Bart at that time because oh. The Simpsons originated on the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, okay. Maybe The Simpsons got their big break a year later. Yeah. It just says Rose to Fame a year later. Yeah. The Simpsons uh, series started in 1989. Yeah. Okay. That's, am- that's amazing. Think about that a minute. I know. It's 2017 and that show is still on. Still going. And still going pretty strong. Maggie is still has the same pacifier. That's right. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, Bart she, Simpson? No, come on. Oh, I get it. Okay. She is super talented. Yeah, yeah. Super talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Because, I mean, the shoe doesn't say anything. It just kind of squeaks. It, just, it squeaks and whimpers. And yeah. Oh, it's such a sad it's scene. so sad. Yeah. It's hard to believe that you could get sort of emotional about a shoe. I know. But it, that's a credit to Nancy Cartwright. It is. Because the way she plays it the is. scene and, yep. and reacts. Yep. And then plus the shoe's got those sad eyes. Right. Plus and, the way it's drawn. Absolutely. You know. And... I'm sorry, but Judge Doom in that scene was really a heel for doing oh, that. Oh, nice. Nice. That's a great pun. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. We can only hope that that shoe's little soul made it up to shoe heaven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, What's yeah. What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? Yeah. Well, you know what it is? That dip is laced with a lot of bad stuff for Ooh, tunes. Oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I guess we'll just have to tread lightly from here on in. <laughs> yeah. You know, when a shoe is put in the dip, they kick the bucket. Oh. Oh. Oh, all of that and a pun off to boot. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Any other scenes that we didn't talk about that are really great? Oh my gosh, I love all of them. The movie is so good. You know, I have to admit, one of my favorite scenes, and then I find myself doing it once in a while in real life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when the judge is going around the the bar. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And then he finally comes to Shave and a haircut. But the whole, the whole, everything leading up to that, when he's in the back room. And he's, and he's like, like twitching and his ears are all. He's freaking yeah. out. That whole sequence is yeah. really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, and the fact that um, 
Roger says that a tune's purpose is to entertain people. Right, to make people laugh. Make These people, people laugh. need to laugh. They, you know, we got to entertain people. And then the scene where um, the weasels come looking. Mm-hmm. Oh, and our, I love the weasels. The weasels too. are great. One of the voices is provided by David Lander, who's Squiggy. I thought from Laverne so. And Shirley. Yeah, yeah. Another great scene where the the cartoon interacts with the real world thing mm-hmm. when they're at Eddie Valiant's office and he's doing the you know he's That's washing his clothes. That's where I was going. Yeah. And, he, and he smacks the water, the weasel. Yeah. Very yep. cool. Yep. And Roger's underwater and he comes up and up, yeah. down, up, down. Yeah. You know, and they're still handcuffed together and he has to put him in his coat to sneak him into the bar. <laughs> then he brings him into the back room and he's going to, with the hacksaw yeah. to cut cut it. And then finally Roger just lets himself out and he holds the table. Is this better? <laughs> Well, why could you mean he... you could have taken your hand out of that the whole time? No. At only... any time? No, only when it's funny. <laughs> exactly. You know? That's great. It's great. That's all philosophy of life. Yep. Just wait for the funny part. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> when baby Herman in the cartoon, he's the baby. Yeah, and then when he yeah. talks, he's, hey, toots, you know. <laughs> it's great. It's a yep. great gag, too. Yeah. If you have a favorite scene that we didn't talk about, let us know. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash screenfacts. Quiet over there, you. Also, you can email us, screenfacts at yahoo.com, or tweet me, at Jason Davis Voice. You can support the show by rating and commenting on iTunes. Remember, check on Wednesdays for the latest episode and for details about all the different ways you can stream and download the podcast, including past episodes, go to jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. Honey, as always, thank you so much for joining me for another episode. Well, thank you for having me. If I had Roger Rabbit ears, they'd be in the shape of a big heart right now. Oh, yeah, when he's looking at them kissing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Show theme music by audionautics.com. Thanks to our announcer, Kim McKay from Kim'sVoice.com. And of course, thank you as always for listening. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit JasonDavisVoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.